0: Which, please turn with me to your study outlines, and as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online, uh, as well as our friends at First Baptist Church in Arco, Idaho, and also Purpose Church in Kalispell, Montana. We are so glad uh, that you're joining us for our study as we continue our Reconnect series, and as we dig back into that series, let's watch this together. More connected than ever before. In seconds we can move around the world and take ourselves into virtually any room other than the one we are currently in. Dinner tables text but don't talk. Friends surf but can't relate. We remain trapped in a cycle of more notifications and less interactions. More texts and less laughter. More streaming and less eye contact. We are exhausted by the possibilities at our fingertips. And the treadmill is only getting faster. But what if it doesn't have to be that way? What if we were intentional? What if technology could enable us to pursue relationships rather than avoid them? What would our families look like? What would our friendships look like? What would it look like to use technology with purpose? What would it look like to reconnect? Alexander Graham Bell in 1876, six years after this church was started in 1870, uh, it produced the very first telephone transmission by, again, Alexander Graham Bell. And it went one way from his laboratory to the next room where his assistant, uh, Mr. Watson, was, and the first thing ever said on a telephone was, Mr. Watson, come here, I want you. Uh, now here's another quote from Alexander Graham Bell. Uh, he said that, uh, with his invention, who we'll popped the next one up there, there it is. I dream that my quote telephone might help all people say, uh-huh, to each other while pretending to listen. This was his original goal, uh, for, that's a total lie. So just uh, don't even, don't even pay attention to that. Uh, another guy from history is Guglielmo Marconi. Uh, produced the very first wireless transmission. Happened in 1901. He's 27 years old. He put two antenna uh, connected to a high-flying uh, kites. And if we'll just show that next one there, there they are, the, the kites. They put antenna connected, uh, put them up in the sky. Uh, he sent that signal 2,000 miles across the Atlantic. Now, he never knew what he was about to start. These were the very first two cell phone towers to- <laughs> Today, there are six million cell phone towers. Uh, today, our phones are for much more than just talking. And yet, they can be a distraction from real living, from reconnecting and connecting with each other. I, I love this picture. A bunch of fans are seeing um, Johnny Depp, the famous actor, and all of them are just plastered with their cell phones getting a picture. And I love this lady right there. She's just in the moment. Look at her. She's just checking out Johnny Depp, enjoying the moment, not all the distractions, just taking it all in. And so what the series has been all about is a little less of that uh, and a little more of that. That's what we're talking about uh, within our series. Average output of email and social media is 3.6 trillion words or about 36 million books every day. Uh, the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C. has 35 million books. So that means we're putting out on social media more than the Library of Congress every uh, every single day. And so it's a tremendous benefit, but there's certain downsides to it, and that's why we're looking for a balance within our lives. And so we've called this series Reconnect, Uh, In part one, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how to deep have deep friendships in a culture of texting. Last Sunday, we talked about how to have contentment in a culture of Instagram. And now today, we're gonna talk about how to live out your faith on your smartphone. And our theme verse is Hebrews 10, verse 38, where it says, "My, my righteous one will live by faith. We are called to live by faith. And what we do online is part of our faith. And so we want to look at pitfalls to avoid in order to live out your faith on your smartphone. Now, as I've said the last two Sundays, this is not an anti-technology series. This is not an anti-technology message. We love technology. I believe that God has given us the current technology as a tool in our hands to reach the world for Christ, to hasten the second coming of Jesus Christ. You know, one of the prophecies of Jesus' second coming is when the gospel is preached all around the world, in every nook and cranny, to every ethnic, racial group, every language group. The Bible has been translated almost every language now. There's just very few left to be translated in. And I believe that God has given us the gift of technology as a tool to speed up the second coming of Jesus. Now, that's a pretty awesome uh, benefit, isn't it? And so we're not being anti-technology. Technology Technology is a wonderful thing. Uh, My son, Andrew, our son, Andrew, uh, he's an air traffic controller in Palmdale at the regional center, and so he's got at his fingertips he can see all the flights from Las Vegas to San Diego to San Francisco, all the, the Pacific Southwest there before him. Uh, and usually he uses this power for good, but sometimes he uses it for evil, I, I want you to know. He, uh, my daughter Abby uh, just got engaged, and she was flying back to Washington, D.C., and our son, Andrew, was the air traffic controller for her plane. And so he had a little talk with the pilot. And as they were landing in Washington, D.C., the pilot came over the PA system and said, we want to congratulate Abigail Gunderson because she just found out she's pregnant with twins. And so that, that was a great moment. Um, then Friday night, Friday night, our daughter, Leah, she's having a nonstop from Seattle to Ontario. And Friday night, she says she's getting off the plane, and as she gets off the plane, she hears the pilot say to the flight attendant, we got here early because the, the brother of one of the, 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 his sister was on the plane. And so her brother was the, the air traffic controller, and he gave me a shortcut because his sister was on board. I don't know if that's even legal, you know, is that, (laughs) am I going to get my son fired by sharing uh, this story? Uh, But so, so sometimes he uses it for pranks. Most of the time he uses it for good and technology is just like such an amazing thing. Um, I don't even know how I ever did grocery shopping before my smartphone. As a matter of fact, I didn't do grocery shopping. Kimberly wouldn't let me grocery shop because I brought back so many of the wrong things. You know, half of them be wrong. She'd say, forget it, I'll just do it. But now, yesterday I was in Stater Brothers, and I was thinking about this, and uh, my, my cell phone is just my, my tool. It's my lifeline when I'm grocery shopping. Because she'll text me all the things that I need to buy at at Stater Brothers, and then if there's something really complicated, I can call her about that. Like, for example, if it says, get bananas, and I don't understand what that means, then I can call her up and, uh, and, and discuss this with her. And so it's just a marvelous tool. And so we love technology, and it's a tremendous blessing to our everyday lives and for us fulfilling the great commission to reach the whole world for Christ. But the Bible says we are not just saved by faith, we also live by faith. And that means everything we say on social media is a reflection of our faith. Everything we do on social media is a reflection of our faith. Everything we look at or view on social media, uh, on our computer screens or on our smartphone, is a reflection of our faith. So we're going to look at five biblical principles for getting the benefit of current technology without some of the downsides and some of the traps of it. And so the first one is to spread truth and not rumors. Spread truth and not rumors. Now, uh, here's the problem. The internet is loaded with rumor, half-truths, and lies. Does anybody want to say amen to that? (laughs) Okay. Now, now, slanderous rumors, that's been around from the very beginning. That's not anything uh, necessarily all that new. Uh, Here's a picture of Abraham Lincoln's tomb. And it was opened up. His body was exhumed not once but twice. First in 1887, and again in 1901. You know why they dug up his body a couple of times? Is because there was a rumor that he wasn't buried there, and that rumor became so strong that they felt they had to dig up Abraham Lincoln not once but twice to dispel that rumor. As a matter of fact, that led him to this say this uh, quote right here: "Don't believe everything you read on the internet." That uh, direct quote from Abraham Lincoln. Just think about that for a minute, all right? So uh, don't believe everything you read on the internet. Uh, Now, I I think an area where we particularly see this is in the area of politics. We even have a term for it today, fake news. Um, You know, we have a tendency to believe, uh, to jump on things uh, that we hear a rumor about a politician that we don't agree with, and to give a politician we do agree with kind of the benefit of the doubt. And, and I want you to know, whenever I point the finger today, I'm going to have three fingers pointing back at me plus the thumb, okay? So it's going to be like, I'm pointing at you, but three fingers are pointing back at me, and the thumb is saying, yeah, he's talking about this guy right here. He's talking about this guy. So I, I have to admit, in my own life, if it's a politician that I agree with uh, most of their policies, I hear a rumor about that politician, eh, I kind of give him the benefit of the doubt, him or her, uh, the benefit of the doubt. But if I, I don't care for that politician, oh, I jump right on that particular rumor. Now, I'm going to be fair. I'm going to do one example from both sides of the political, political spectrum, okay, both sides of the aisle. So hang with me here. I'm going to give an example uh, for each side. Uh, president Obama, uh, when he was president, there was this stupid, persistent rumor uh, that he wanted to be dictator and that he would not give up the presidency. When his time came, he was going to become a dictator. He was going to hang on to it and not walk away when his term was done. This rumor was, uh, plagued him all through uh, his presidency. Well, inauguration day 2017, that rumor was completely laid to rest when uh, President and Mrs. Obama uh, walked away from the White House, walked away from power, as every president has done since George Washington they gave it up. That's what makes America a wonderful country is because when it comes time for the end of our term, we walk away and don't try to hold on to it like a, a dictator would. Now, the same day that rumor was put to rest, another rumor popped up because there are people out there that want to spread lies and they want to make people look bad. And so the very same day that this rumor was dispelled, a new rumor uh, uh, popped up about President Trump. And that was the rumor that he had removed the statue of Martin Luther King Jr., the bust, was removed from the Oval Office on his first day as president. And this just went rampant. People jumped to conclusions, jumped all over it. Well, they begin to find that it was spread by a reporter who later retracted it because the reason he was in the Oval Office on Inauguration Day, and he didn't see the bust because someone was standing in front of it. And so he didn't see it because somebody was standing in front of it, so he spread the rumor. So, depending on which one of those we are, and and we're a very uh, diverse uh, congregation politically, you know, one of those rumors we may have jumped on, and the other one we gave a benefit of the doubt, and then vice versa, uh, depending on which side uh, that we're on. And so the first biblical principle is to seek the truth, to spread truth and not rumors. Now, here's the biblical solution to that problem. Uh, Proverbs 11, verse 3. The integrity of the upright guides them. But the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. So we are meant to be known as people who are upright. Our integrity guides us. We are known to be people that are not people of duplicity. But the faithful are those that seek out the truth and spread the truth. Ephesians 4 verse 25. Paul writes, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. Now, this is hard work. It is far easier uh, to pass along rumors. It is far easier when you get an email or a story uh, that you kind of agree with or you hope is true uh, to pass that thing along. It takes hard work to put off falsehood and to speak truthfully. But we go the extra mile. We're meant to go to the extra mile to make sure that thing we're passing along is true. Now, there are many different tools for this. One that I've got there in your study outline is Snopes.com. And we can take the time to before we pass something along that we stop and pause to make sure it's true before we pass it along. Exodus 23, verse 1. uh, God says, don't spread false reports. Now, this isn't just something that's current with the internet. This has been around for centuries, been around for millennia. Uh, Paul, in Romans 3, verse 8, talked about a rumor about his ministry and his preaching. Why not say as some slanderously claim that we say, let us do good, evil, that good may result. You see, what was happening is, Paul was preaching that it's Christ alone that saves you. Uh, Not following the Old Testament law. You didn't have to follow a list of, uh, you didn't have to follow religion. You didn't have to follow a list of do's and avoid a list of don'ts. It was all about Christ and Christ alone. And that's what he was preaching. And some people began to slanderously claim that he was saying, it doesn't matter how you live. Just do as much evil as you possibly can because then God's grace is greater and God is glorified the more bad stuff you do because he's got more stuff to forgive. That's absolutely not what Paul was preaching. Paul was preaching that we're not saved by works but but a faith that saves us is a faith that works. That is, when we are transformed by Christ, one of our core values here at Purpose Church is growing people change. And when when Christ comes into our life, it does change us. We begin to live differently. We're not saved by good works, but once Christ begins to transform us, we ought to see a change. Not perfection, but more and more change over time. We begin to do good works. We begin to love people the way Jesus would love them and serve people the way Jesus would serve them. So that's what Paul preached. And yet they were slanderously claiming that he was preaching, let us do evil, it doesn't matter how you live, that good may result. And so it's been around from the beginning. And so the first biblical principle is spread truth and not rumors. Number two, be considerate and not rude. Nick English wrote a book called Anger is the Internet's Most Powerful Emotion. And here's what he said, it's very difficult to link words on a screen with the reality that there's a living, breathing human on the other side of the connection. There's a book I've been recommending, if you want to go deeper into this subject, and if you want to study more, there's a great book called 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You by Tony Ranky, and I highly recommend it to you. Let me just read a little excerpt uh, on this that I found uh, very interesting. He says, we are more likely to bubble with rage toward others screen to screen instead of face to face. And researchers call this phenomena anonymous anger. The steam of anger finds quick release in words thumbed into our phones. It is too convenient to vent our rage in public now. On top of this, there are three other culprits. Relative anonymity, a lack of authority and consequences, and solipistic introjection. Now, there's the word of the day. What in the world does that mean? Solipsistic introjection. Here's what it means. The theory that subconsciously talking on a computer can seem more like we're talking to ourselves than to real people. Is that interesting? There's actually a theory out there that when we're on our computers, when we're on our smartphones, we act as if we're really not talking to another human. We're thinking to ourselves. You know the old joke, did I just say that out loud? Well, that's what this is. We're like, I didn't say that out loud, did I? Because we make a we make a separation between the two. Solipsistic interjection. Use that over lunch tomorrow with somebody and impress them. The theory that subconsciously talking on a computer can seem more like we're talking to ourselves than to real people. Online anger is a consequence of the division in our lives. Our attention is divided. Our minds are divided. And our digital personas are separated from our flesh and blood. These divisions lead to avoidable misunderstandings and short fuses online. Our typing thumbs lack empathy without living faces in front of us. It is much easier to slander an online avatar than a real-life brother or sister in Christ. Uh, Online anger is not merely pervasive, it's also contagious. Remember, back in January, we did a series on on the book of Proverbs, and there's that one proverb that says, don't hang out with angry people because it's contagious. You will catch their anger from them. And boy, never is that true than online, that if we hang out with angry people, we will become angry uh, people. And so we've got to be considerate, not rude. Here again is the biblical answer to this problem. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. Imagine if everything we said online was patient, was kind, was humble, what a difference it would make. Uh, James 3 verses 17 and 18, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Proverbs 16, verse 28. Peacemakers who sow. Oh, I'm so sorry. I always skip that verse. Verse 18. Sorry. I did that last service too. My bad. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a a harvest of righteousness. What if we were known as Christ followers? What if we were known online as peacemakers? What if we were known by that? Who sow in peace reap a harvest of Now Proverbs 16, verse 28. A perverse person stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. My goodness. When I try to stir things up a little bit, or maybe we're online, and let's get the conversation cooking a little bit, I don't think of that as a big deal. That's kind of a nickel and dime sin, if it is even a sin to begin with. But look at what the Bible says about people that stir up conflict. It calls them a perverse person. He calls us perverse if we stir up conflict. My friend Dane Ocker uh, writes, you don't have to post everything you think. You don't have to comment on everything you read. You can be gentle even if you disagree. Now, Proverbs is such a great, you'll notice about two-thirds of the Bible verses this morning, the Scripture references, are from the book of Proverbs. And it is such a great guideline to how we should treat each other online. It's just marvelous. And I would encourage you, maybe read a chapter of Proverbs a day and a chapter from Psalms every day. Because Psalms helps us vertically in our relationship with God, and Proverbs helps us horizontally in our relationship with each other, whether face-to-face or screen-to-screen. And the book of Proverbs is just such an amazing guideline to how we should treat each other in all arenas of life, including uh, social media. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Proverbs 20, verse 3 It is to one's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. Uh, Proverbs 14, verse 29, Whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick tempered displays folly. Proverbs 19, Verse 11, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. My goodness, think of that. You are glorifying God, and God is glorifying you, is honoring you. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. The prominent psychologist William James uh, once wrote, wisdom is the art of knowing what to overlook. Uh, Wisdom is the art of knowing what to overlook. Proverbs 15, uh, verse 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. What if all of our communication, person to person, uh, I mean, in, in this in this divided time in America, what if Christ followers were known for our gentle answers rather than for our than for our harsh words? You know, there's um, such a beautiful example of this, so touching. This iconic photo of Martin Luther King Jr. Um, in the Birmingham, Alabama jail. And this was a very low point in his life. Uh, People were questioning his motives. Uh, His critics were harshly criticizing him. They were questioning his motives, uh, his reason for doing things. And here he is uh, sitting in jail. And he wrote this beautiful work, powerful work from that jail called Letters from a Birmingham Jail. And listen to his gentle response uh, to his critics and to those that questioned his motives, he called them men of genuine goodwill. He, he gave his critics the benefit of the doubt. He said, They are men of genuine goodwill whose criticisms are sincerely set forth. My goodness, here he is sitting in jail, here, here he is being unfairly criticized, his motives being questioned, that somehow they were self centered. My goodness. And yet he gives them the benefit of the doubt and calls the people criticizing him, people of good, genuine goodwill. Their criticisms are sincerely set forth. He said, I want to try to answer your statements in what I hope will be patient and reasonable terms. My goodness, what an example that is of a gentle answer turns away wrath. And then he proceeded to say some very hard stuff, to say some very in-your-face powerful stuff, but he said it in love And he said it with with gentleness. Uh, Philippians 4, verse 5. Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. He's talking there about the second coming of Jesus, but he also is present. He's looking over our shoulder when we look at a computer uh, screen. What are we watching? What are we typing? What are we saying? What are we saying? The Lord is near. And so because the Lord is near, let your gentleness be evident. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Then the third biblical principle is be impartial, not biased. Here's a quote from that book I was talking about by Tony Reinke. He says, Algorithms feed me images, ideas, and products tailored to my previous engagement. It may seem I am simply stumbling over a litany of randomly scattered things online. But what's offered up to my eyes today is increasingly aligned to the breadcrumb trail I left behind in my digital diet yesterday. Now, here's what he means by that. In the same way, last Sunday, when we talked about contentment and how online there's an attack on our contentment because they watch what you bought yesterday and feed us ads as to what we're tempted to buy today and tomorrow. So we get ads for today and tomorrow based on what we purchased yesterday. Well, the same thing is true as going on with information. We are fed uh, articles and viewpoints today and tomorrow based on what our trail is as to what we've enjoyed reading in in the past. Now, the fancy 21st century word they use for this is they call it an echo chamber, where we're just saying things back and forth to people that believe exactly like we do. The old-fashioned Baptist term for it was preaching to the choir. How many remember that one? Preaching to the choir. Preaching to the choir, you know, our choir probably 90% agrees with everything I I agree with them on end. So preaching to the choir, the choir preaching to me, uh, today the fancy term for that is an echo chamber. And so here again is the the Bible's answer to that is Proverbs 18, verse 17. It says, in a lawsuit, the first to speak seems right until someone comes forward and (laughs) cross-examines. Isn't that great? I mean, it's true. How many of you have ever served on a jury? Anybody served on a jury? And you're sitting there, and the prosecution goes first. And, and, and you hear their case, and you're like, oh, my goodness. This guy is so guilty. Why are we wasting our time? Lock him away. He's so guilty. And then somebody comes up, the defense, and begins to cross-examine. And you're like, oh, oh, not so sure now. Not so sure. Well, this is true of every position that we hold. It seems so true if all we hear is the first to speak. But if we take the time and the effort, and this is hard work, it's hard work to pass along truth, rather than just quickly pass along something that may or may not be true. It is also hard work to look at the other side of an issue. As hard work. When I hold to this view, it's easy just to talk to everybody that holds the exact same view, view and echo back and forth Choir preaching to the pastor, preaching to the choir, choir preaching to the pastor. It's hard work to look at positions that cross-examine our particular position. Doesn't mean you're going to change your position. Doesn't mean that you may you may still hold it even stronger after that. But but here's what happens when we take time to understand another person's position. It's harder to demonize that person. You know what I'm talking about. When, when we only listen to people that have our exact same position on something, it is easy to believe that the people that disagree with us are of the devil, okay? To demonize them, to think ill of their motives. But even if we don't change our position, we might even get stronger in our position, we're at least sympathetic to why they hold that particular position. But it takes work. Uh, two verses earlier, Proverbs 18, verse 15 The heart of the discerning acquires knowledge. It's hard to cross-examine what we believe. It's hard to acquire knowledge. For the ears of the wise, seek it out. Take the effort to seek it out, to be impartial and not biased. Then number four, be focused and not distracted. Oh my goodness, does this one convicting me. There's this thing today they call digital skimming. And I want you to know, on my phone, I just jumped from article to article. You know, it's so bad, I don't even read articles. I read headlines. And somebody will bring up an issue and I'll say, yeah, I saw that headline, what is it about anyway? You know, sometimes I'll read the headline in the first paragraph, but then I'll jump to, to something else. and just jumping around all kinds of, of different articles. A uh, Kristen Lamb, this is so awesome. She calls it, these days we have the attention span of a meth-addicted squirrel. Now, I have never met a meth-addicted squirrel, but I'm guessing it doesn't have much of an attention span. And let me tell you how God convicted me. I mean, God has used this series in my life so much, and I just want you to know, again, three fingers and a thumb pointing back at me when I I talk to you. Um, Since I was 14 years old, I have loved most days to run or walk for 45 minutes to an hour just by myself, no, no earbuds in or anything like that, just, just on my own. And it was a higher percentage running than walking in the early days, and now it's a higher percentage walking than running uh, these more recent years. But just to be alone with my thoughts for an hour on as many days during the week as, as I could find time for. And I just love that time. It was a time to talk to God it was a time to think deeply about life and where my life was heading and, and what's effective and what's not effective, what's eternal and what's not eternal. It was a time to think through sermons. It was a time to think through what I'm going to say at a meeting or what position I'm going to hold on a particular thing. And I just cherished those times. Like I said, from the age of 14 until the present, I just love that. And I found within the last year or two that I began to get out in there. And after 15 or 20 minutes, I was bored with my own thoughts. Now, you all know what that's like. You say, Glenn, that's nothing. We're bored with your thoughts every Sunday. I mean, my goodness. You're just discovering that now? What? Yeah, but I was never bored with myself, okay? I found myself to be fascinating, okay? I love myself. I think I'm grand. I go to the movie and hold my hand. I slip my arm around my waist. If I get fresh, I slap my face. And so I, I um, you know, I had time to think about great poetry and uh, how I would be able to, you know, to share that. And what I found within the last year, or two is I was getting bored after 15 or 20 minutes, kind of run out of stuff to think about. And kind of like, I got to get back to my phone, got to get back to my phone. You know, if I finish my run now, I can, I can go back and grab my phone. And this series has been like, oh, my goodness, disconnect from the phone so I can reconnect with myself and with God and with other people uh, to enjoy that the thoughts. And and here, again, we've talked about, there's been a theme in this series that Satan wants to get us so distracted in life and he wants the friends we're trying to reach for Jesus to get so distracted that we're distracted right through the finish line, the end of their lives or Christ returns and nobody's ever taken the time to think deeply about eternity. And his goal is distraction. Whereas God's goal is interaction and reconnection with him and with ourselves and and with other people. Now this is not just true um, with our thoughts. This is true in reading as well. Nicholas Carr writes, Once I was a scuba diver in the sea of words. Now I zip along the surface like a guy on a jet ski. And I find that's true. And that can be true with our Bible reading uh, as well. Many people now say that the Bible is the most complicated book they'll ever read. And yet it's the guide to our faith. And yet, for many people, the Bible is the most complicated book they'll, they'll ever read. Now, there's good news and bad news about our smartphones that research has shown. The good news is, do you know people are more faithful to their Bible reading plans now than they've ever been? Do you know people are reading the Bible more than they've ever read? Do you know why? Smartphone apps. It's been a tremendous thing. This has increased Bible reading in, in America, this has increased uh, people's commitment to Bible reading. Um, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing. Yay, God! Here's the downside: we're not retaining as much of it as we used to. We're skimming the surface a, a little bit more. And so, the antidote to that is just to slow down. Whether it's on our phone, and those those Bible reading apps are awesome. Keep them up. Go to it. But whether it's on our phone or whether it's in a paper Bible. Let's just kind of slow down so it has the time to transform and to change our lives. Um, Here's what Proverbs says in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding. And if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And that can't happen jumping around. That happens when we take a deep breath, slow down, get alone with God's word, and and get quiet and slow down a bit and take our time so that it can change our lives. And then number five, be positive and not negative. Be positive and not negative. A pastor in a church uh, saw a post on the church's Facebook that said, today's sermon stunk. Now, he wanted to be open-minded, so he said, okay, let me be teachable. Why did it stink? Person writes back, because first, you read it. Secondly, you read it poorly. Third, it wasn't worth reading in the first place. Now, somebody else posted on Facebook trying to encourage the pastor, and they wrote, don't worry about what that guy says. He just repeats what he hears everyone else say. Can't make me feel bad <laughs> Charles Spurgeon, it wasn't at our church. Some other church, I'm sure, I'm sure. Charles Spurgeon said the easiest work in the world is to find fault. Man, that's easy. You want to find fault? Oh my goodness, there's, there's plenty of fault all over the place. Easy to find. The internet is a great place to find fault with our church or with our friends or our job or our life. It's an easy place to blow off steam or, or sound off or get something off of our chest. So, so here's, here's the solution to that. Philippians 2, verses 14 through 17. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. We live in a warped and crooked generation, don't we? And much of that is reflected online. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. God wants our social media, online interaction to shine like a star in the sky in the midst of a warped and crooked generation. That is our assignment uh, from God. Verse 16, as you hold firmly to the, word, to the word of life. Here's a picture of Ryan Toy's review. Um, this little boy has been viewed 12 billion times reviewing toys. He made 11 million dollars last year. All he does every day is he gets on there and they give him a new toy every day and he just goes online and talks about how much he loves that particular toy. He's six years old. Now, we're probably not going to get 12 billion views, Uh, but everything we do online, every interaction we have is influencing people one way or or another. We're either pulling them down or building them up. We're either building them up and encouraging them or tearing them down. We are impacting people way more than we think. We're influencing the way people think. Uh, We are a a testimony for the Lord or a a poor testimony. We're a testimony one way or the other, either a good testimony or a poor testimony. National Geographic did the top 10 inventions that changed the world. Number 10 was the camera, then refrigeration, telephone, clock, automobile, vaccines, personal computer, airplane, light bulb. Number one greatest invention in world history that's changed our life more than anything else is the printing press From 1440. This is why we shouldn't be afraid of of technology. God has used the printing press. Do you know that Christianity exploded after 1440? All around the globe. Because of this technological innovation called the printing press. And and the Bible, uh, every year from 1440 to the present, has been the best-selling book in the world every single year from 1440 until 2018. Every single year. And so we don't have to be afraid of technology. God has used technology in the past, and he will use it in the future to reach our world for Christ. But here's the downside that we have to watch out about. The average person spends about two hours a day on social media. Average American watches TV for five hours a day. And so maybe God is leading you through this series to do some dramatic things with regard to your connection to social media or to something like television watching. Maybe. That's between you and God. But I think the least he's asking us to do is could we carve 30 minutes a day, just 30 minutes a day from that social media time, from that television time, could we carve out 30 minutes a day just to get alone with God and his word? And if you could build it up to 45 minutes or an hour a day, so much the better. But start with 20 or 30 minutes. Just take 20 or 30 minutes away from social media or viewership, away from a screen of some type, any kind of screen uh, life, and pull it away to either screen life with your Scripture on this screen or in your Bible. Proverbs 12, verse 11. Those who work their land will have abundant food. Those that work to be a good mom or dad those that work to be a good husband or wife, those that work to be a good friend, those that work to share Jesus, those that work to serve others and the cause of Christ, those that that give generously to transform their world for Christ, they work their land, that spend time alone in God's word, letting it work its way through into our heart and to our lives. Those that work their land will have abundant food, a spiritual harvest for eternity. But those who chase fantasies, and here again, one finger this way, three coming back, this guy, those that chase fantasies, and I I would say that two hours a day on this is probably under the category of chasing fantasies, have no sense. Paul writes in Romans, he says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. The days are distracting. The days are tempting. The days want to keep us so busy that we don't pause and think about how we're living our lives and making the most of every opportunity. And all God's family said, amen. Amen. As the praise band comes back up for our closing worship, uh, let's pray together. Lord. This is hard stuff, and I would just pray that anything that is not of you, that people will forget by the time they either get to their cars to go home, or they get to their adult Bible study uh, during the 11-11 hour. Lord, if it's not of you, please have them forget it. But Lord, anything that is of you, anything that is a word from you and not a word from Glenn, anything that's a word from Glenn, help everybody to forget it. But anything that's a word from you, I pray that we'll remember it, we'll take it to heart, and it'll change us from the inside out. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen.